We would like to advise that the following program may contain real news, occasional philosophy and ideas that may offend some listeners. So Kai, are we doing anything this week? Uh, I don't think so. It's Easter and we're going to have a short break. So we're not going to record the regular episode. No, but that doesn't mean that we'll leave our audience with nothing. We have an episode from our other podcast series to tide you over. It's called The Unlearned Project, and it's our other series about changing common sense. Yeah, and it's quite a different show to The Future This Week, where, you know, we sit down every week and banter. This one's about those topics, ideas, concepts, where the world has changed without us even noticing it. You might have already heard our episodes on unlearning computers and unlearning automation. This episode explores why music is no longer just for listening. But then... What is it actually for? So we'll hear from producers and artists, creators, and key figures in the industry, and we'll figure it out. We hope you enjoy. The former president of the United States, yeah. Barack Obama, has said that he was you're on his playlist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, um, and then all the comments were like, really, Barack Obama? <laughs> no, they were Astronaut in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> How does a song by a Sydney rapper, published in 2019 by a small label in Melbourne? A song that went largely unnoticed for almost two years. How does it all of a sudden make it to Obama's 2021 summer playlist? The surprising answer to this question has some quite profound implications for what we do with music, what music is for, and ultimately, what music actually is. I do see a pretty profound impact on just the global nature of music as a result of TikTok, but also just kind of music streaming overall. That's the global head of music at ByteDance and TikTok, Ulla Oberman. It's so much more possible for a song that comes out of Australia to end up becoming a global hit and to be listened to by audiences all over the world. And I think that's a, a pretty amazing byproduct of platforms like TikTok because you just totally knock down the barriers of distribution and of audience building. So it turns out hits are not just made by people listening to music on the radio or even on Spotify, but by using songs to make videos on TikTok. It gets us to what I think is a really profound change in, in the role of music. Many more people feel that they can be creative using music today than ever in, in history. Okay, so what is this profound change and what exactly is music for? In this episode, we bring you music producers, TikTok creators, narratologists, musicologists, and key figures in the industry as we figure it all out. There's a great Australian artist, Mask Wolf. And of course, we talked to him too. What up, it's your boy Mask Wolf. And uh, you might know me from my hit song, Astronaut in the Ocean. In this episode of The Unlearned Project, why music is no longer just for listening. I'm Sandra Peter. I'm Kyrie. Welcome to The Unlearned Project. About three years ago, there was... Are all our episodes now going to start with about a few years ago? Uh, no, but this one is because it's important to understand how we got here. 
About three years ago, there was this young 19-year-old guy from Atlanta, Georgia, who was making headlines around the world. The story goes he had dropped out of college, he was living at his sister's house, he was a bit lonely, and he bought a beat online for $30, switched it up, and wrote a country song. Country trap, really. He posted his song on SoundCloud, tweeted it, and eventually ended up on the Billboard Hot 100. The song was also charting on the Billboard Country Chart, where it reached number 19, before mysteriously disappearing. Quite unceremoniously, Billboard had pulled the song from its Hot Country Songs chart because, you know, it wasn't country enough. They said that Old Town Road just didn't embrace enough of today's country music elements. This move enraged the internet. The internet was angry. The conversation was picked up on Twitter, on social media, in the New York Times, and ignited a public conversation about genre and about race on the Billboard country charts. That 19-year-old was Lil Nas X. And he's black. And so the charge was that country music mainstream does not welcome black crossover musicians, and that this kind of genre gatekeeping is just the front for racism. Enter country music royalty, and father of Miley Cyrus, Billy Ray Cyrus. He also thinks this is clearly a country song, and re-records the song with Lil Nas X. And the song took off. Again. Again. The remix won the Country Music Association Awards, Lil Nas X signed with Columbia Records, and the song made it to the top of the Spotify list and the global Apple Music charts. Billy Ray Cyrus happens to be white. And it was about that time, right, that you had coffee with your friend? Yes, my friend, who pointed out that Old Town Road had first been really big on TikTok, and had I heard of the hugely popular Yeehaw Challenge? And I was like... We were like... What's going on on TikTok and what the hell is the Yeehaw Challenge? Many hours later, many, many hours later, as we emerged from a deep, deep rabbit hole of 15 second videos of people shopping in supermarkets and walking backwards on escalators and dancing and lip syncing and and people hanging around in normal clothes. And when the beat changes, transforming into cowboys and cowgirls. Yeah, that was the Yeehaw Challenge. All on a Chinese-run social media platform that allows anyone to record and post short videos. And there were hundreds and thousands of videos with the hashtag Yeehaw on TikTok, almost all of which used a bit of Old Town Road. And it turned out that Old Town Road's success came from its massive popularity on TikTok. The song was then streamed on YouTube and on Spotify to the tune of over 100 million a week. And for weeks... Breaking its own record over and over, achieving the three highest weekly US streaming totals in history. And at the time, we filed this as a curious side effect of the popularity of what was still a fairly new social media platform, TikTok. Remember, this is back in early 2019. And we were just relieved that there was finally something new happening in the platform space. About a year later, a man named Nathan Apodaca went viral after he posted a video of himself on TikTok. He was just gliding down a highway on his longboard, casually drinking cranberry juice from a bottle while lip-syncing to Dreams, the Fleetwood Mac hit. To be clear, the number one hit Dreams from 1977, that Dreams. But when music from before I was born, and again, to be clear, not before you were born, Kai. Yeah, <laughs> true, but hardly the point. When Dreams makes it back into the Billboard Top 10 after more than four decades after its release, becomes rather obvious that something's really changing in how music works. 
Yeah, it wasn't people buying albums or listening to music on the radio or even Last FM on the internet. It wasn't even people listening to entire songs. It was something new. People were using just 15 seconds of a song to create short videos on TikTok. We realized that we were seeing the beginnings of a real shift in what people do with music that had implications far beyond this new social media platform, far beyond TikTok. So this year, when Astronaut in the Ocean appeared on Obama's playlist, we realized we really have to do this episode. We have to tell this story and we have to unlearn music. And to do that, we had to first figure out how does it actually work? What is it like to be a creator on TikTok? And how does music help to tell stories in just 15 seconds? Because just imagine what this means for the music industry as a whole. If music now gets discovered and used differently, how does it change how hits are made and how music is produced and sold? A change potentially as big as the advent of the radio. And how does it change the way music is used to tell stories and raise awareness for all kinds of issues? And ultimately, what does this all mean for what music is? And who better able to tell this story than Ulla Obermann? I'm Ulla Obermann. I'm the global head of music at ByteDance and TikTok. And before Ulla was at ByteDance, the Chinese company that owns TikTok, he was chief digital officer and executive vice president at Warner Music Group. Mask Wolf. You know, he originally released some music in 2019 and it found a bit of popularity, but now his music has gone through the roof on TikTok in the last six months and it's become globally well-known. He's in the charts, not only on the Arios, but the Billboard charts in the US and the official charts company in the UK. He appeared on Jimmy Fallon in the US recently. I mean, this guy has become kind of a global superstar artist on the back of a couple of his songs really blowing up on, on TikTok. Tens of millions of people have created videos using his music. For every creation that happens, there will be, you know, X thousands of views of the video, which includes the song. And then you immediately see a correlation when that happens on TikTok to the popularity of those songs on the more traditional music listening services like a Spotify or an Apple and Amazon. And the really interesting thing here is that Masked Wolf only gained this huge popularity once people started to use his song in TikTok videos. The song was released in 2019. It only became heavily popular sort of two years after the release. I was writing about why I felt out of place. And I thought of just space and an astronaut. And I just said, what's the opposite? And then I thought of astronaut in the ocean. The song sort of entails me feeling out of place, the reasons why I felt out of place. And I guess like when COVID came around, that's when sort of the rise of Astro started happening. And maybe the song became popular during the pandemic because that's what everyone felt like. Somewhat anxious and out of place, just like the astronaut in the ocean. Yeah, or maybe it was the mask, you know, masked wolf. It's just the right wolf for the pandemic time. That pandemic, yeah. Any which way, the song took off. And it took off thanks to its popularity on TikTok. I think platforms like TikTok are just a massive catalyst to get it to more ears in a very quick amount of time. Like all it can literally take is one TikTok video that has two point something million likes. And then from there, these people can tell other people and then those people can tell other people. And it's just like a chain reaction. And for Astro, 18 million TikTok videos makes for a whole lot of likes. 
But what's really significant is the 18 million people who decided to create all those videos with the song in the first place. And we'd be remiss here not to mention that even Jennifer Lopez... J-Lo. Yeah, J-Lo danced to Astro on TikTok. So it's not just people getting to see videos featuring the song and then listening to the full song on streaming platforms, but all those millions of users creating thousands or millions of videos using just that little bit of the song and then driving its popularity. And it wasn't just TikTok anymore either, right? NFL superstar Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, he used Astra in one of his Instagram posts. And the song then went to number one on the Shazam hip-hop charts. But still, how does this actually work? Now it's incredibly easy, frankly, for even someone who's not a trained musician to express themselves using a musical track or even a clip of a musical track, but putting that to a video and then telling a story really through the combination of the audio and the video. It's just literally, hey, here's a random funny moment that I might have got on my film on my phone and you might find this sound that sounds really cool with it and all of a sudden you're a creator and you've got 1.2 million likes on a video that you thought was going to get 100 likes. And I think that's what's really profound about what's happening with TikTok is, you know, you have literally 100 million, hundreds of millions of people who are telling stories and creating these kind of derivative works where they're picking the right song, they're picking the video that tells the story they want to tell. And they're really very creative and very clever about how they put those things together. And the music is really important here. The 15 seconds or 30 seconds or 60 seconds can provide a canvas for the challenges. Yeah, like the Yeehaw challenge. Or the microwave challenge or the flip the switch challenge. All these challenges where hundreds or hundreds of thousands of people make videos just attempting to do the same thing. And the music helps them set the tone. Right, it provides the vibe for the thing. And I think the role of the audio or the song is it really sets the mood. It, it creates this, you know, we talk about vibes a lot at TikTok. And I think that's a really big deal that people are creators, people who are making these videos, these short form videos, they are choosing the song that, that kind of emanates the vibe that they want to put around the story that they're telling. Okay, maybe we need to have an example here. What is it like to choose that song to set the vibe in a video? There was a song by Rita Ora, Radioactive, that is from 2013. And I had this idea of creating throwback videos to make people feel good, to just think back before COVID and to kind of give them that sense of, you know, home and sense of comfort. So we called him Pasha to find out how he works with music on TikTok and what's it like to create these videos. My name is Pasha Grozdov and I'm a content creator at TikTok and a student at the University of Sydney. So Pasha visited us in the studio to tell us all about how he works with music on TikTok. I looked at Rita Ora Radioactive and I realized no one's made any music with that song. And I decided to film a short 10 second video. The idea of it was essentially a throwback. And I was playing a Kmart shopper and I put a background of Kmart on the video and I was just pretending to look around the clothes and homewares. And the caption was, 
uh, it's the year of 2013, you're shopping at Kmart, and it's before COVID, you're living your best life, and Rita Ora Radio Activist playing in the background. And it went viral because it brought back the old memories and the idea of going to Kmart and that feeling of shopping around. And that's how I ended up using that song. So this is really about picking a song and narrating a story or communicating that mood or, or a feeling. Picking a song or picking a number of songs. Like Pasha also talked about mashups, how sometimes people bring together two or three songs to create something altogether new. Oh yeah, like that Bunnings Warehouse song mashup that he told us about. So there was this trend where they did a mashup of Nicki Minaj and the Bunnings Warehouse music. And oh my God, I loved it. It was so amazing. Like it was just so fun. Like honestly, imagine you're having a bad day and you go on TikTok and you see Nicki Minaj singing to Bunnings music. Like wouldn't that just make your whole day? Like nothing matters once you hear that. <laughs> that is so true. That's so cool. <laughs> and these are like short videos, right? Seven seconds, ten, maybe fifteen seconds. Yeah, and it turns out that a ten-second video is sometimes all it takes on TikTok for people to really get excited about an idea or indeed about the song. So I would say that seven seconds of you know a song can definitely throw it into the chart. I'd say definitely the TikTok videos being you know seven to ten seconds on average, using those best parts of songs actually presents music in a different way, in a more I guess engaging way. And that's just fascinating, isn't it? The fact that music just works differently through TikTok. These videos are short, like very very short, and music helps tell these stories. I'm amazed at how much storytelling people put into what is sometimes only like a 15 second video, right? You watch it and so much happens and you lose sort of perspective on the fact that that was only 15 seconds because people are just so creative at what they can do with this short period of time. And here's where some of you listening to this are going, oh, come on, seriously, how much storytelling can you actually do in 15 seconds? And that is a fair question. And so we thought maybe we should ask an expert. And luckily, we have one of those here at the university. My name is Tom van Laag. I'm an associate professor of narratology at the University of Sydney. So Tom's basically a professor of storytelling. And we were determined at this point to find out if that extends to 15-second stories. Yeah, and since he's just on the other side of the building, we made him come into the studio so we could grill him about what makes a good story and whether or not it could be done in just 15 seconds. So for a story, you need two things. For a good story, you need three things. A story has a plot and a character. A plot means, you know, a number of events that are connected. A character, we know what a character is. That's the minimum for a story. Obviously, you can do that in 15 seconds. For a good story, you need a third thing, which is a dramatic curve. And some of them have that. You know, some of them are able to do that, but some, you know, they, they don't have the time to develop the drama, to develop the climax. If that's not there, it's a story, but it's a bad one. And this is the fascinating bit, right? It turns out that this is where the music comes in. When a particular song becomes popular and people use the same clip over and over again in their videos, the song serves as the common story element across all those videos. You create something called a meta-narrative. What you then get is a certain cultural capital or cultural knowledge that is already there. So then every new iteration is just added to that. And if you're on the inside, if you're in the know, 
then that is still something you could easily follow because you see the one video of 15 seconds only as another event in the bigger story. And that's exactly what we see with these challenges on TikTok, right? Like the Yeehaw Challenge. Uh, remember when people change into cowboys and cowgirls? Always on that same beat change in Old Town Road. It also just explains why people choose to make their own videos with a clip that is already popular, because they can just contribute to this existing meta-narrative. If you riff off uh, a particular piece of music and basically make slightly different changes every single time there is a new clip that somebody uploads or you know, creates, then that is the same effect. Basically, there is a format that people sort of agree on, you know, not explicitly, but implicitly agree on. And within that format, they make slight changes, but not too much. And then storytelling works well, even in those 15 second videos. So then it's really a social effect, right? It's like social storytelling with the music like a shorthand that provides the context for all the videos. So what saves you enormous amounts of time, which you normally need to build up suspense in a story, is if people already know what is coming or that something is coming, let's put it that way. So that allows you to indeed tell a good story, one that has something that builds up to suspense in 15 seconds. Otherwise, you know, it would have to be 15 minutes. But Pasha was also saying earlier that you want to select the right bit of the song, the one that has a recognizable element, the one that showcases the music in the right way, the bit that's going to engage the audience. And Ula was talking to us about that too. We've always talked about the hook of the song. There is a build or there is a drop or there, there's some moment in that three-minute song where the hook comes in. And, and that's the thing that really catches your ear and catches your, your senses almost. And that's the thing you can't get out of your head. TikTok works very similarly. Creators are finding the hook and they're using the hook of the song in their video. More often than not, the hook gets discovered early on, which is what creates the popularity and the engagement. So now comes the million dollar question. What makes a good hook? So a musicologist, a psychologist, a podcaster and a sound editor walk into a bar. Well, actually, we met them at the university coffee shop to find out more. Hi, I'm Dr. J.D. O'Regan. I'm a lecturer in contemporary music at the Sydney Conservatorium of Music at the University of Sydney. And hi, I'm Dr. Tim Byron, and I'm a lecturer in the School of Psychology at the University of Wollongong. We, in our research, I think, are figuring out that there's all different kinds of hooks. So it's not just like an ACDC guitar, you know, guitar riff at the start of one of their tracks, even though that's a fantastic hook. What producers, I think, are doing now are being really economical about hooks and that they'll have one single hook that is performing many duties at once. So it might have a really interesting rhythm behind it. It might have, you know, uh, some interesting changes in chords. It could have an interesting sound, like it could be some sort of effect like an auto-tune or a filter or some sort of way that, you know, draws the ear to it going, oh, that's a bit novel and interesting. So we often find that the hooks that are really, really successful in very successful songs are, are performing many duties at once. Well, the really great example is a song from a couple of years ago called Bad Guy by Billie Eilish. And that's a particularly interesting one because the end of the chorus section where she, she sort of sings or speaks, I'm, I'm the bad guy, duh, has kind of eight or nine things really going on at the same time. I'm the bad guy, duh. 
yeah, but there's all sorts of stuff in that. She, there's like a weird, uh, when she sings bad, there's like a weird sort of... Um, like an effect, uh, on, effect her on her voice. that makes her sound a bit like Darth Vader in a certain It sounds like when way. you sing into a fan or something. Yeah, like yeah. So there's that. It's doing interesting musical stuff in terms of it. It's the bit in the song where it sort of falls down to the tonic, which is sort of the bit you most expect to hear. So it feels like it resolves. Um, You're like, oh, yeah. I can breathe out now. Well, the rest of the music falls out, so you pay attention to that bit. Something new has happened, so it's a sense of novelty there. Um, th- there's, there's the pause, which kind of makes you yeah. lean forward and go, what's she going to say next? I'm the bad guy. Duh. It kind of goes with a certain vibe, a certain kind of setting of um, something in the music. So it, the song in general is putting across a certain kind of... Attitude. An attitude. Too, yeah. and, um, and that bit of the song encapsulates that really well. Yeah, and so when she leaves that yeah. pause and then comes back and actually punctures everything because she's not singing it, she speaks it and it's like, yeah, um, so nineties, so whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's but a sense of humor in it too. It's funny, yeah. and so there's that's just one tiny line, yeah. and it's got all these things happening. No wonder it was such a huge hit. There's so much to love about yeah. it. So what the TikTok creator really does is find that hook that allows them not just to tell their story, but to provide the catchy, that easily remembered bit that other people then can latch onto to tell their story. And that's a very different way of engaging with music, right? It's not just passively listening to songs, but music's becoming this thing for creating, uh, for self-expression, for telling a story, for creating mood. Yeah, absolutely. It's very different, isn't it? And that's the point here. The way people engage with music on TikTok is dramatically different to what we would do when we listen to the radio or listen to music on streaming platforms such as Spotify, for example. The user experience on Spotify, obviously there is a proactive element to it, but most people don't use the service that way. They, they click on a song, a playlist, an album, and then they sit back and the music you know, comes at them. And, it, and they consume, they, 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 I would call it passively consume that music. Experience on TikTok is completely different. The metric that we look at um, most sort of thoroughly is the creations that happen with a song. So unlearn music. Unlearn music. Yeah, unlearn what music is for. Music is no longer just for listening. That's what's changing. And ultimately, you do have to redefine what quote unquote music is, right? Right. Because music is now also a material for creating. And we could just leave it here. But what are the implications of all this? What's the so what? Yeah, so what? So I think this is an ever evolving format, short form video on TikTok. And and the role that music, audio, sounds play in that will evolve along with it. And the amazing news for, you know, the music industry, for artists, for labels, for publishers, um, everyone who who is in that ecosystem is, it, it just becomes this incredible outlet where the engagement with music is off the charts. And that's what we all want. We want people, you know, to be, to be engaging with music, to be discovering music, to be creating, to be viewing, to be listening. So there's a number of implications here, right, for all kinds of stakeholders, not just the TikTok creators, but also the artists and musicians and 
all of us listeners and music lovers, and ultimately the entire music industry. So let's take a look at some of these implications. First, for creators. Platforms like TikTok or Douyin or YouTube or Instagram or Bilibili, you name it, increasingly allow anyone anywhere in the world to create with music, to tell stories. And everyone we talked to kind of made this point. Anyone, literally from anywhere, can be a creator. And we have to be fair at this point and say, a bit like you're probably thinking right now, anyone, anywhere. We were like, surely not quite anyone, anywhere, really? Well, challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. (laughs) How about the South Pole? So I I mostly made TikTok for my mom. And then now over a million people follow me, which is insane. (laughs) My name's Antoinette. I go by Tony. And I currently live at the Amundsen Scott uh, South Pole Research Station as a supply technician for PAE. So when you spoke to Tony back in June, it was in the middle of winter. It was. And it was cold. So cold. Uh, I just checked the weather today. It is negative 65 degrees Celsius with a negative 112 degree Celsius wind chill. <laughs> Boy, that is insanely cold. It was a very, very cold and dark day in June. You know, I haven't seen the sun since February or March. And Tony's a fantastic example of how a platform like TikTok allows anyone to tell their stories from the strangest of places. I am a supply technician down here. So I help the station with moving supplies around um, necessary. So it's anything from grabbing a pencil for the galley to bringing our food up to the station to supplying the scientists with uh, tools to help fix the telescope. And she tells great stories about the stuff that's going on in this really remote part of the world. When I started making TikToks, it was just little clips of, here's what I have going on outside. My very first video was like a seven second long, the last uh, plane taking off. And I'm like, well, we're stuck here for, for 10 months now. Now I just like to show the science that goes on here. So I've been interviewing the scientists and they try to explain, you know, the neutrinos and the kind of science experiments that go on down here. Um, We're trying to discover, you know, answers to the universe down here. It's incredible. And so what started out as a way to stay in contact with family became a way to connect with millions of people. TikTok has given me that power of storytelling, which is incredible. It's not something that I was looking for or expected, but it's a... It's a happy plus. I like to be able to share what I'm doing here with the people who are interested. I am the 270-something woman to have ever wintered over at the South Pole. It's an incredible honor. And to be the first social media viral person here, I feel like I have a representation to uphold for all the people that have done this before. And Tony's also quite deliberate about the music she chooses. In my early videos, I chose a lot of this one band that I particularly love. They're called Fruit Bats. I saw them in Santa Cruz, California. And they're not a very large band globally, so I thought it'd be really cool to put their music on my TikToks to give them some boost. Okay, the Fruit Bats. Never heard of them. Have you? Actually, yes, because I've seen Tony's videos. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of the point here, isn't it? It is kind of a point because it's not just about incredible storytelling with music as material, but it also provides these entirely new opportunities for bands and artists like the Fruit Bats to have their music promoted to entirely new audiences. (laughs) Yeah, maybe even go viral and make it really big, like, you know, 
Mass Wolf. Exactly, because when creators like Tony pick their songs, they can bring local artists to global audiences. You know, I do see a pretty profound impact on just the global nature of music as a result of TikTok, but also just kind of music streaming overall, right? It's so much more possible for a song that comes out of Australia or India or Korea or Japan or Saudi Arabia, you know, to end up becoming a global hit and be listened to by audiences all over the world, regardless of, of even the language that the lyrics are in. And I think that's a, a pretty amazing byproduct of platforms like TikTok. You just totally knock down the barriers of distribution and of audience building. So platforms like TikTok are becoming also a great place for artists to release or to promote their music straight to creators. But this inevitably also raises the question, will artists now make music specifically targeted at these creators on platforms like TikTok who only use this small part of a song? Well, yeah, like Lil Nas X did make his song for platforms like TikTok. He even talked about how he like made Old Town Road to do well on social media and then promoted it for months as a meme until it caught on on TikTok. And this was all at a time where people were not really seeing the potential of platforms like TikTok to make hits, real hits. And, and it did pay off for him, right? Big time. It did. Like Old Town Road did make music history. It became the first song ever to reach 15 times platinum. And for a while, he was like the Beatles. Even kids were singing this right in, in kindergarten. So we asked Mas Wolf the same question too. Would he now make music for platforms like TikTok, so music designed to do well with creators? I never made Astronaut to be on TikTok. I didn't even know what TikTok was when I released Astronaut. I make music based off what I'm feeling and what I think is a cool melody, not, oh, I think this chorus is going to get captured on TikTok and I could have another song that does well. So obviously not every artist is creating for TikTok now. And I guess time will tell what the impact on the artistic side will be. Uh, I mean, pop songs have certainly gotten a fair bit shorter in recent years. Many are just two minutes long now when three or four minutes used to be quite normal just a few years ago. Oh, oh speaking of pop songs, Taylor Swift. Uh, Taylor Swift? Yeah. Her fans, the, the Swifties, the Swifties created this wildest dreams trend where they used the hook from her 2014 original song to tell all these stories about getting over people or getting over events. And anyway, the trend then slowly shifted into this slow zoom filter, which now involves lip syncing as the filter zooms in. Anyway, Taylor Swift just re-released Wildest Dreams, Taylor's version a re-recording of the original saying, uh, so you guys got Wildest Dreams trending on TikTok, thought you should have my version. So she was clearly following the trend on TikTok and used the momentum that was building to create a new version of her original song. Yeah, she made a new version, a new single. She was like, make it Taylor's version, please. And people embraced it. In like a few hours, there were thousands of videos using the new version of the song. And that's really another interesting thing about music as material for creation, right? It does allow for these comebacks. Everyone we spoke to made this point, including Ulle, about long-lost songs that are back in the charts. 
Like, remember Dreams, uh, the Fleetwood Mac song? That original version made a comeback in the charts after 40 years. Yeah, and, and it's just amazing. Yet You have to keep in mind, the majority, I would say 90% of the people, the users, the creators who are making a video using that song, they were probably born 20 years after that song was released. So on the one hand, artists can have their songs discovered. Or rediscovered. And on the other hand, TikTok also presents this great way to discover, to find new music, be it a creator looking for a unique song to tell their story, or any of us, any music lover, just looking to just find good music. Yes, because with all these millions of people from diverse backgrounds... And TikTok alone has over a billion monthly users. That's a billion people every month. Yeah, and all those people using music as a creative material, like Pasha, such platforms have become a great place to discover different songs, different genres and new styles of music. I always walk for music through TikTok, to be honest. Every single day there'd be a song I never heard of and I ended up either using that song for one of my videos or just um, adding it on my Spotify playlist and playing it. So songs that I never heard of, you know, those songs that never charted, they somehow become popular because someone just starts interacting with it and using it in a very creative way. And because people only hear the hook of a song, like this really short piece of a song, they can hear a lot of songs in a very short amount of time. So this makes these creator platforms a great place for anyone to discover new music. And because videos are very short, it doesn't take people a long time. So if you're on an app for an hour, you can listen to 100 songs. And you're not going to listen to the whole duration of the song. You're just going to listen to the best 10 seconds of that song. And so that's how essentially you can discover, you know, hundreds and thousands of songs in a day that are not just, you know, trending or viral, but also that other creators are just using because they like it. Okay, so music as material to make things with rather than just listen to. It's enabling new forms of storytelling. Even at the South Pole, right? Even at the South Pole. It's providing new opportunities for artists to promote their music. And it's letting all of us discover music in new ways. There is one other stakeholder group that has had and still has to do the most unlearning. And that is the rest of the music industry. The labels, the agents, promoters. Yeah, and here's where it gets really interesting, because... They've always struggled with the idea that recorded music can be creative material. Material for creating new stuff. As Ulla... And remember, Ulla was at Warner Music before he headed up music at TikTok and ByteDance. As Ulla points out, the industry was initially quite reluctant to have their songs used on TikTok. Musical rights holders, as well as really any intellectual property rights holders, were not comfortable with that. Because in their minds it was, we produce a song, and the song is meant to be consumed in the way that we produce it. And so if, if the fans and the users are now, you know, kind of taking that apart and reorchestrating that, that's not really the intended use case of what we are putting out into the world, right? There was a lot of resistance for many, many years. And this is a big point, because for an established industry, in this case, the music industry, unlearning is hard. I think quite often we are presented with disruption and change as inevitable. But Ulla and, and the music industry in this case remind us that unlearning is hard and sometimes even impossible. 
What Ulla was hinting at is that this idea of using short clips of music to make things has a precedent in artists and musicians using them, and that historically the music industry opposed it very strongly. Back then it was musicians as creators rather than everyone as creators, and the place this resistance was most visible over the years was in hip-hop. Because hip-hop was built around the idea of using bits of existing songs sampling, to make new music. When hip-hop emerged on the streets of New York in the late 70s and 80s, the music industry reacted very negatively to the idea of music as material for creation. And really, they failed to see this as anything but stealing. And it's kind of hard to remember Or even imagine if you're a TikTok user. Yeah, but it's hard to remember that at some point the practice of using short clips of music to create something new was a a mindset shift that the industry was unwilling to make. And so we had to speak to someone who was there at the very heart of the debates on copyright laws at a point when unlearning just failed to happen. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a Grammy-nominated producer, DJ, sound designer, music executive, culture evolver, and the founder of Public Enemy and the production team, The Bomb Squad. Actually, more accurately, we had our sound editor, Megan, talk to one of her idols. My name is Hank Shockley. I'm a producer, sound engineer, sound designer who's had groundbreaking artistic and commercial success with public enemy which is without a doubt one of the most influential hip-hop groups in history public enemy and the bomb squad who were pioneers and masters of sampling using dozens of short pieces of music to create these dense soundscapes as the backdrop for the vocals of rap artists one of the things that i was doing and i was a big stickler for was not to be able to take a four-bar loop or two-bar loop and loop it. I wanted to do something that was a little bit different. I wanted to take shorter pieces to make up the greater, the bigger piece. So the concept of what we consider to be micro-sampling was kind of done. Because at the time, we didn't have much sample time. And that led to creating what is, to me, a more unique and a more condensed style of making music. But the music industry really didn't see it that way and brought lawsuits after lawsuits to effectively outlaw the free use of even the smallest microsamples as material to make new music with. And it kind of like it hindered our style from, you know, because of all the lawsuits that was happening from artists that was taking just a two bar or a four bar loop and just making the entire record. And so now it became cost prohibited to be able to clear your samples. Well, right now, sampling is an art form that is deemed itself basically for the elites. And so the industry cemented music as something to listen to and not use, more or less killing off the sampling practices that had marked the emergence of hip-hop as an art form. And I do believe that the sample laws should change. And I think that if there were clear guidelines on sampling, because I do believe that it's an art form, you're not stealing anyone's music or copyright, because what you're doing is you're just taking a sound, for example, a snare drum, you're taking a kick drum, you're taking a bass note. What you're doing is that you're using them as colors, you know, in a palette. And the problem is, is that when someone tells you that they have an ownership on the color red or blue, and you can't use those colors, 
that kind of like limits you from creating this painting or this montage that you was trying to do. And I think that that's where sampling became a deterrent for creativity as opposed to something that can allow creativity to flourish. So these new developments, like what's going on on platforms like TikTok, could be a chance to change the music industry's approach to copyright, to sampling, to the use of music as material. A chance to unlearn music, not just in how we engage with it, but more broadly a chance to unlearn music for the industry that controls it. And maybe experimentation on TikTok will eventually convince the industry. That's where hip-hop came from. It came from the experimental side. And so what you see today is just an amalgamation of that existence. Now TikTok becomes an experimental place for you to try new ideas. And there is some evidence that the industry is indeed unlearning as more and more tech companies like YouTube, Instagram, and indeed TikTok enable creating with music. And as Ulla points out, music labels now allow and actually promote music to be used as material on platforms like TikTok. I think the acceptance has come now um, because that's what the fans want. And it's a way to create more engagement with the music. But there was a lot of resistance for many years because it was just not the way that the music industry had traditionally worked. And so I think that's a really nice case study of some of these conflicts that exist between how the music industry works and has always worked and how technology companies work. But where is this all going? Are platforms like TikTok the endpoint of creating with music? Or are we just getting started? I think technology companies are coming at it from a perspective of, you know, how do we innovate, innovate, innovate? And to some extent, innovation means disruption also, right? So you don't accept what has always been the norm and you think about ways to make it better for the user experience. And then you, you evolve your technology in order to make it more suitable for what the feedback that you're getting is, which is how they want to use the technology. That's what's so exciting to me is like, what kind of incredible creativity are we going to see from these creators moving forward? We're already seeing it. And I think it will become even more interesting as we go. So as we all learn music as just something to listen to, innovation is likely still ongoing. And music has always led video, for instance, by a few years, like think downloads and streaming and bandwidth issues. TikTok started out in China as ByteDance is doing, already on Bilibili, a Chinese video sharing website, a site probably most similar to YouTube. Users are experimenting with telling stories using not just music as material, but video as material to create new stories with. And no doubt new technology platforms and the creativity of millions of creators, of everyday people, musicians, artists, will come together to push the boundaries of what we will do in the digital space. And that's just more unlearns for us. And speaking of more, while unlearning music, we spoke to so many cool people and learned so much. It was so much fun. So much about where music as material comes from that it made us want to share all of that with you. So we're going to do an extra episode. Extra. An unlearned music deep dive that explores where it all started. Every once in a while, we will release an additional episode, a deep dive episode to explore the rich background of some of our unlearned topics. 
So keep an eye out soon for a background episode on where this whole unlearned music came from. Where does the idea of music as material come from? Where did it all start? What do early computers have to do with it? The history of hip-hop music, the history of sampling. Which is also the history of computers in music. And why the music industry finds unlearning music just so hard. Basically more good stuff. Just more good stuff. This was the Unlearn Project. Our sound editor was Megan. Well, you were good, but you ain't no Hank Shockley. Wedge. And this episode and additional nerdy stuff was written by Sandra Peter and Kai Rima. We had help with bits and pieces from the entire SBI team and Barney from TikTok in sunny Cornwall. Oh, hi there. How are you? If you're wondering about the music you're hearing right now, it's yet another one of the Bach-Goldberg variations, a public domain recording made possible via a Kickstarter project and used by us because it's beautiful and, more importantly, free. If you want to know a little more about the topics and research in our podcasts or for a full nerd out, our show notes are available at sbi.sydney.edu.au slash unlearn. The Unlearn Project is a production of Sydney Business Insights, an initiative of the University of Sydney Business School. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and WeChat. You can subscribe, like or leave us a positive rating wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you have enjoyed this episode from our other series, The Unlearned Project, and we hope you subscribe to The Unlearned Project wherever you get your good podcasts. Go. Do it. Do it now. And we will see you back soon here on The Future This Week. After our break. And that's all we have time for today. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Future This Week from the University of Sydney Business School. Sandra Peter is the Director of Sydney Business Insights, and Kai Rima is Professor of Information Technology and Organisation. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and WeChat, and follow, like, or leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any weird or wonderful topics for us to discuss, send them to sbi at sydney.edu.au.